0: for the next six weeks, we're going to ask that question, and we're going to ask it in various realms of our life. Uh, Today, you'll see we're going to ask it when it comes to my dreams, my goals, my pursuits. Is it good for me? And what we're going to try to do is let our loving Creator speak to us about this, because our Creator's love is a very practical love. Um, One of the things that's been a source of great pain to me uh, for a good number of years is that, tragically... Most people today, unfortunately, you know this, they don't think of places like this as centers of learning. I mean, when people think of church, they usually think in terms of, you know, well, you go and you kind of do your duty to God, you know, you, you need a little spirituality to round out your life. But rarely, rarely do you find people that think of places like this as places where they are going to get enlightening, exciting, meaningful information that cannot be derived anywhere else information that comes from the creator of life himself to tell us who we are, why we're here, how to live, what's going on with life, why certain things are happening, working and not working. But but the local churches are meant to be placed and, and, and I have to say many have failed dramatically in this. We give people the notion that God is this inconsequential being who if you light a few candles or you say a few redundant prayers or if you you believe a certain body of facts, that that's all he requires. As long as you believe the right thing, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. We, we, have, we have somehow given the impression in our churches that, that God is just this being that we need to figure out how to appease him, but that he's not practically relevant or deeply, significantly desirous to be involved in our lives and that he has nothing to contribute, and it's tragic because churches ought to be packed every week. People ought to be beating down the doors because they know you can get an education on how to make a living almost anywhere, but you can't learn how to make a life anywhere other than in these centers of Christ people, at least so it should be. All right, let me give you a personal experience. When I was a young guy, and I once was a young guy, it happened, I know, in my early 20s, For whatever reason, I used to have real bad hay fever. Um, Allergies are weird. I don't have it now at all, you know. But I had real bad hay fever. And so when I would get struck with this hay fever, it would do two weird, contradictory things. Number one, I could not breathe through my nose at all. I mean, I could not get any air. It's a very uncomfortable feeling through my nose. But at the same time, simultaneous with that, my nose would run like a faucet nonstop. Very uncomfortable situation. Did not make me happy at all, Okay, Gave me no pleasure. So, I found this magic potion. Um, It's called Afrin. How many know what I'm talking about? (laughs) Man, I gave myself a spray with that Afrin. Instant gratification. Immediately, my nose opened up. It made me happy. It gave me great pleasure. I'm a simple man. I don't need a (laughs) lot. So, I started using the Afrin, and it worked. And then I used the Afrin more and more and more. But I was like, you know, it's cheap. It's no big deal. Well... I noticed that hay fever season passed, and it was the heart of winter, uh, and I was still using afrin all the time. I mean, like every half hour or so, I'm squirting my nose with afrin. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is not ragweed anymore. So I go to the doctor, and the doctor uh, listens to my story about the afrin and looks up my nose, and and he's, he's horrified. He says, I'm destroying everything up in my nose, and and, and he says, it's, it's the Afrin, it's the Afrin, you can't do that. You're not supposed to use it that way. It's causing you now not to be able to breathe. I said, wait, 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 you don't understand. I use the Afrin, it opens my nose up, it gives me great joy and pleasure, and, and it makes me happy. He says, yeah, yeah, but you don't understand. Now it's causing your nose to close up, and you're just locked in this cycle. Now, the story is all to say this. What I learned, I wish it was just with Afrin, that I've learned in many other situations, that what initially might give me pleasure and make me happy is ultimately not good for me. And I'll bet you, I'll bet you we've all learned that at some place or another. Here's a little phrase. What initially seemed good to me was ultimately not good, can you say it with me? Not good for me. So, I learned the lesson that because I'm finite and I don't understand everything about my physiology, I don't know how I'm designed, I was doing things that initially were good to me, they gave me pleasure, they gave me happiness, I could breathe, but they were not good for me. They were actually slowly destroying me and I I didn't realize this. You say, well, Randy, okay, that's the physical realm. You know, you, you can't carry that over to the realm of everyday living. I mean, so when you start talking in terms of what's good for me, who can say to anyone what's good for them? You can't say to me, Randy, what's good for me. You don't know me, you don't know what I like, you you don't know what I'm about. I can't say what's good for you. No one can say to anyone what's good for them. There's no such thing as like this block universal good that's applicable for everyone, you know? It all depends on what you want. Depends on what you choose. We might even say, It all depends on what makes you happy. But you know what, man? When I sprayed that afferent up my nose, I was happy. When my nose opened up and I could breathe, I was very happy. But it was not good for me. So on the one hand, most folks today would say you shouldn't even let someone else try to tell you what's good for you. You're the only one that can decide what's good for you. But then my mind keeps going back to the afrin. It didn't really matter what I believed about the afrin. It didn't matter what I wanted about the afrin. It didn't matter what I desired. The afrin was destroying my nasal passages. It wasn't good for me, even though it gave me some initial pleasure and some initial happiness. The problem was I was designed a certain way physically. And unless I could live in accordance with that design, it was not good for me. Let's test it a little further. We all know that as human beings, we have to breathe, we have to drink water, we have to sleep. Uh, in fact, we could even, you know, get real technical. You know, we know that you got to sleep about six or eight hours. It's good for you. We would say, you you have to move. There's certain things that that are just required because you are designed and I am designed as a physical being. Uh, you could call them laws if you want. I didn't choose any of them take me out 30 miles at sea in the middle of the ocean, drop me off in the middle of the ocean out of a boat, throw me in the water, I'm not going to do well. It's not going to be good for me. I cannot breathe oxygen in water, and I would sink quickly. However, a fish, a fish 30 miles out in the sea, they're fine because they're designed to be able to get oxygen out of water. Put me 150 feet up in a tree, push me off the limb, it is not going to be good for me. <laughs> Take a bird 150 feet in the air on a limb, push the bird off, it's not going to bother the bird all because the bird is designed for flight. I'm not. There, there's something about design, understanding what my design is, and living in accord with my design, and what is actually good for me regardless of what I think or not. So how far can we take this? I mean, I mean is, it, is it possible? Is it feasible at least? Is it worthy of consideration? That my mind and my emotions and my spiritual faculties and my relationships and my morals and my priorities, even my finances, is, is it possible? Is it possible that that I am designed that each and every one of those realms, the entirety of what makes up me, that there's a, there's a design, there's a way that I'm meant to think, there's a way that I'm meant to emote, there's a way that I'm meant to relate, there's a way that I'm meant to behave. I, I, is that possible? But, but you say, but Brandy, now you know you're, sounding, you're sounding ridiculous. We all know that it's up to whatever you choose. Are you sure? What about the Afrin? Here's a statement to think about. What if the truth is that if we want optimum function or the highest quality of life, I mean, if that's our desire, the highest quality of life that a human can experience, the only real choice we have is to learn how we are actually designed and then to choose to live in accord with that design. What if that's the truth? What if the only real choice we actually have is to discover what our design is And then to live in accord with that design because if we don't find out what our design is and if we don't live in accord with it, we are not going to have the highest quality of life that can be had no matter what we think or no matter what anyone else says. What if that's the truth? What if I've got this image? I've got one physically. We know this. I mean, what if I've got this design? Where might that design come from? What might that design be? If you go to science, science has no answers. They just say we're accidents. The whole whole universe is a big accident. They have no answers. The best and brightest have no answers. They exclude a creator. They exclude a divine being. And so they, they can't say they have no answer as to what my design is. But there's a very simple answer that the real creator, the originator of life, in the opening Chapter of his word that he's passed down and preserved and given to us so that we can know him and the truth about him and know The truth about life. We don't have to walk through life in darkness in ignorance with Experimentation trial and error pain and gain. I mean we don't have to do that But but in his word he revealed What our design is if your little child came up to you? And said mom dad What's my design? would you answer? Would you be able to answer? Or would you be saying, I think you need to talk to your Sunday school teacher about that. (laughs) Well, here it is. Here it is. It's real simple. You probably know the verse. Genesis, first book of the Bible, Genesis 127, it says, God created humankind in his own, what does it say? That's your design. You're designed to be, you you gotta let this sink in. You are designed to be exactly like Jesus Christ. He's the creator. You and I am designed to be exactly like Jesus Christ. Randy, what are you talking about? Nobody could be like Jesus Christ. Listen, you have the potential. You were you meant to develop. You can develop. I can develop. When I am my truest self, when you are your truest self, my design is to be like my creator. Let me go on with that verse one more time. God created humankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. So, if my design is to be like Christ, and if what's good for me is always to live in accordance with my design, then when I am living like Christ, developing to be like Christ, when I have the value systems of Christ, the priority of Christ, the mindset of Christ, then then that's good for me. And whatever pulls me away from that, no matter how much fun it is, no matter how much pleasure it initially brings, no matter how many other voices in society say it's good, we will live to find out it's not good for us we designed a certain way. And by the way, the design he gave us, could he give us anything better? Could, could God give a greater gift than to say, I'm going to create beings with the capacity to enjoy and experience life on the very level that I myself experience. That's the greatest love gift that can be given. And that's our design. Design, when we live in accord with design, it's good for us. When we don't, knowingly or unknowingly, it's not good for us. What about pursuits, dreams, and goals? Because we are beings that are purpose-driven. Every human being you'll ever meet is purpose-driven. All through our lives, we're pursuing certain goals, certain purposes. You know, it might just be to, you know, make, make it on a team. It might be to get your, first, uh, your driver's license, your first apartment, whatever it is. But we're driven by goals all throughout life. And the thing about goals... Is once you and I lock onto a goal, we have this capacity to organize the rest of our life around that goal, supportive of that goal. It stirs a lot of energy, and we can accomplish amazing things once we have a vision, once we have a purpose, once we have a, a dream or a pursuit. And God Himself is a purposeful being, it's part of our design. God always acts with purpose. But it's purpose that is driven by love. He wants to extend his blessing. He wants to extend his joy to the universe. But he's a purposeful being, and so we're purposeful beings as well. Now, the problem is this. If we are not sufficiently connected to our Creator, if we are not being instructed by our Creator, if we're not learning his will and his ways, this sense of purpose that we have, this drive toward purpose, it might lead us toward purposes that are frankly just unworthy of us. And ultimately not good for us. You you can accomplish something. Let me be really clear. You can accomplish something. You can accomplish great things. You can achieve great things. Things in our world would all applaud and say, wow, man, I wish I had that achievement. I wish I had that accomplishment. And it ultimately still not be really worthy of you. Because you're you're made to be like God. You're made to be like Christ. You're made to accomplish things on a level that will, will bring blessing that not only has impact in this life, but all the way into eternity. And a lot of times we settle. We settle for small dreams. We settle for small goals. We settle for small ambitions when we ought to have great, godly, benevolent, unselfish, caring visions and dreams and goals. Listen to this passage of Scripture from the New Testament, book of 1 John, the Apostle John writing. He kind of is trying to warn Christ followers he says, look, don't, don't fall in love with this corrupt world. And there's a lot that's seductive about this world. Don't fall in love with this corrupt world or worship the things it can offer. Those who love its corrupt ways don't have the Father's love living within them. He's saying if, if a person has become enamored with this present society, this world as it is, with all of this disease and death and chaos and everybody scratching and competing and trying to get on top, if, if you love this society, he's saying the, the love of God's probably not in you because everything in this society is so counter to the way God intended it to be. The passage goes on. It says, all the things the world can offer to you, the allure of pleasure. So the world offers us all kinds of varieties of pleasure. The passion to have things we want to accumulate, we want to amass, we want newer, nicer, bigger, better. It makes us feel good when we have it. It gives us a sense of significant security and satisfaction when we receive pleasure, when we amass things, when we have the possessions we want. But it says, don't don't be allured by these things. The passion to have things and the pompous sense of superiority... It's that sense of achievement. I'm the best. I made it. I accomplished. Look at me. I compare favorably to you. That thing that's in us that drives it. We're trying to, we're trying to derive a sense of significance from these things, a sense of security from these things, a sense of satisfaction, but you can't get it that way because you were designed with God's image. And only when we're aligning with that image do we have The appropriate sense of significance and security and satisfaction. So so John says, "Don't, don't get pulled into these things. The corrupt world is already wasting away, as are its selfish desires. But the person really doing God's will, not just knowing God's will, not just talking about God's will, the person really doing God's will, that person will never cease to be. That's just saying that person has eternal life. That person's living the life that can endure forever. It's God's kind of life. So John warns us about fastening on to pursuits, dreams, and goals that are, that are unworthy of beings designed in the image of God. And they are always pursuits that cost us something. We're going to have to invest a lot of time, a lot of a mental and emotional energy. Something's going to get denied. Something's going to get ignored as we pursue a certain goal or a certain dream or a certain vision. And we live in a society today where pretty much people will support any kind of dream that somebody has. In fact, that's, that's the the popular notion of what a good friend is today. A good friend just helps you to pursue whatever it is you want to pursue. It doesn't matter what it is. You just pursue that dream. Don't let anybody kill your dream. Don't let anybody tell you you can't realize your dream. And I, I ask this, I said, so what? So what if you gain your dream? So what, if you, so what if you accomplish your dream? What if you gain the whole world? What if you become the greatest person, the most influential person in the whole world, the richest person in the whole world, the greatest, most talented, brilliant? What if you become the, the number one person in the whole world? What of it? You're only going to live to be about 100. And let me tell you, it goes by faster than you ever dreamt. And then what? Who are you? What are you? What did it all mean as you gasp, taking your last breath? Not much. When we leave the Creator out, we leave purpose for our own existence out. The journey means nothing. And these short-term goals, ambitions, dreams, visions, even when we accomplish them, they cost us too much. You know what they cost us? They cost us our soul. I mean, Jesus warned about this. He said that you know, when you pursue something, it's going to cost you. Sometimes we get mixed ideas. Uh, back in 1925, there was a crisis in Anchorage, Alaska. A bunch of kids broke, broke out with diphtheria. Hundreds of them, their lives were threatened. And at the time, there was just one serum that could help to cure diphtheria. Now, it was down in, in Nome, and I might be getting this reverse, it might be Anchorage to Nome, but it was uh, either Anchorage or Nome. One of them had the serum, but they had to get it. They had to get it to the other place uh, really fast. So it's over a thousand-mile journey. They did it. They took... Uh, 150 different sled dogs, 20 different musher teams, that's the people that drive the sled dogs, and within a 127-hour period, they got this life-saving medicine to these needy kids in either Nome or Anchorage, whichever it was. So this was a worthy goal, a worthy passion. It was to save lives. It was to give people the potential to live lives for God and for good. 1925. But now, this... Route, this over 1,000-mile route in Alaska, it's still run. Usually it's run every year. How many have ever heard the term Iditarod, the Iditarod race? That's where it came from. Most people don't know the real story. Most people don't know what the original purpose was. We've now settled for a stupid, yeah, I'm saying a stupid, deficient Race for something that once was very purposeful, very meaningful, made sense, sacrificial. And this is what can happen to us. We can, we can pursue certain goals and dreams and ambitions and they seem good, they seem exciting. We get our little rewards. The world will always give you a little reward and the clock is ticking in the background. And if you listen really, really carefully, really carefully, you can hear some kind of scary, sinister laughter as someone somewhere is laughing as we misspend and misinvest these precious lives that God's given us, we forget what the real purposes we were meant to pursue were. And like I said before, Jesus said it can cost us our soul. Here's Jesus talking in Mark 8. He said, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? And these purposes, these ambitions, these dreams we pursue, they cost us. And if they are not moving us toward our design, they're costing us our soul. We're, we're losing a bit of ourselves without even knowing it in the process. Let me share one verse with you, and I'm going to share it with you in three different versions so that it will be as clear as possible to show how dangerous these deceptive drives, dreams, ambitions, uh, pursuits can be. This is Paul writing to followers of Christ living in the city of Ephesus, Ephesus in his day, and he said, you were told that your what kind of desires? Foolish Foolish desires will do what? Destroy you. How many have ever known somebody that was destroyed by desires they had? Let me see your hands. How many have ever seen marriages that were destroyed because somebody in the marriage had foolish desires? Let me see your hands. You see, we, we know this is truth. This is reality. You were told That your foolish desires will destroy you, and that you must give up your old way of life with all its bad habits. This is God's Word. This is crystal clear. This is love. This is a loving father saying, This will destroy you. Don't do it, son. Don't do it, daughter. Listen to this same verse in another version. You were taught to change the way you were living. The person you used to be will ruin you through desires that do what? Deceive you. They promise much, they give little. They're pleasurable, and they make us happy initially, but ultimately they're not good for us is what that verse is saying. Look at it one last one. It says, so get rid of your old self which made you live as you used to, the old self that was being destroyed by its what? Deceitful desires. We can't trust our dreams and our ambitions. We have to check our goals right. Why am I pursuing this? What, what is my goal? What, what is this going to look like? Who is this going to cause me to be? What impact is this going to have on those around me? How is it going to affect my God-given responsibilities? Is this going to cause me to be more like Christ? Is this going to cause me to be more, more loving to people, to my family? Is this going to give me more time to invest in my own personal spiritual development, my Christ-like character development? Is this going to give me the time and the motivation and the incentive to be Caringly involved in some kind of service, some kind of ministry. These are the kind of questions we ought to ask about our ambitions and dreams and pursuits and goals. Because if they're, that's not there, they're, they're not to be trusted. They're, they're deceitful. So we have to ask ourselves, is my, is my goal, is it aligning with the way that God's designed me? And sometimes it might seem that it is, but if we have the wrong goal, the wrong dream... It can be disastrous. We've all heard those stories, you know, the parent that their dream, their goal. I want my kids to have it better than I had it. It was so tough when I grew up, you know. We didn't have money for this, that, and no, this. So I don't want to make. So the parent or parents throw themselves into making the biggest money bucket that they can, and then we know how the story ends, right? The kids become dysfunctional, they become angry, they get in trouble, they dabble in drugs, and then the parents wring their hands and they say, I just don't understand it, I loved them so much, I did everything for them, I gave and no, 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 you didn't give them the thing that they really needed. John Krakauer, uh, famous for his Everest climbs, in 1996 he went on a team climb to Mount Everest And uh, Wrote the book in thin air as a result of it, but on that trip was a Japanese lady She was 46 years old She had climbed every mountain that there was except Everest all the highest ones And so she wanted to be the first at age 46 the oldest to ever reach the top of Everest That was her goal. She was driven. She was passionate. Krakauer said that as the climbing team went up She was always in front of everybody always scrambling to get in the front. She was so intense And sure enough, at age 46, this Japanese climber, Yusuko Namba, she reached her goal. She made it to the summit of Everest. And her name was broadcast all over the world, and she was a big celebrity in Japan. But as they were getting ready to go down from Everest, a snowstorm occurred. It was typical. It was not unusual. All the climbers knew these things. When a snowstorm occurred, though... She had given everything. She had expended all of her physical energy. She she had nothing left to resist the circumstances. And within a very short period of time, she went from glory on the mountaintop to death on the mountaintop. And John Krakauer, in his book, In the Thin Air, he said, here's what the problem was. He said, every climber knows you've got to have the right goal. She had the wrong goal. Her goal was to get to the top of Everest. He said, every climber knows your goal has to be to get to the top and to get back down. You have to think long-term. So with our dreams, are we asking the long-term questions? Is this going to be something that, that blesses the other humans in my life? Is this going to be something that honors God and blesses the world that I live in? Is this going to be something that develops my character, makes me more Christ-like? These are the kind of questions we must be asking ourselves. And a good, loving father He says, this this is who you are. Don't be pulled off track by inappropriate ambitions and dreams. Let me give you a little test. Any dream that you'll ever have, any goal, any ambition, any pursuit, if you put uh, put it to this test, you will have a trustworthy guide. Whatever draws me closer to Christ, my creator, and moves me to live in accordance with his word, will, and ways, it's good for me. Whatever it is that draws me closer to Christ causes me to to live in more accord with His word, His will, and His ways. That's what's actually good for me. Contrary, whatever draws me away from Christ, my creator, and keeps me from living in accordance with His word, will, and ways is not good for me. That could be a person, place, or a thing. I've seen people through the years, they get an opportunity for a big raise, big career advancement. They're, They're maybe rooted in Christ in this particular environment, and they're growing and their families prospering and things are going well. But then they get this opportunity for this new job, this new career, whatever it is. And they throw themselves into it. They assume that it's from God. God must be the one that threw it this way. But yet as they give themselves to it, their time starts be, being spent very differently. They're not spending time anymore in cultivating their relationship with Christ. They don't have the time. They don't have the energy. They don't have the emotional uh, energy left to give to other people, to serve God, to serve their families. And everything starts to slowly crumble around them. But it seems so good. It seems so good. Whatever, whatever draws me away from Christ, His word and will and ways, it's not good for me no matter how good and pleasurable and happy it initially makes me. But whatever, and sometimes difficult circumstances, how many of you know this is true? How many of you know that sometimes difficult circumstances, circumstances that I don't like, I wouldn't want, I wouldn't choose, can actually cause me to be drawn more to Christ, to live more aligned with his word, his will, his ways? How many know that to be true? That it's not necessarily the easy way, but the hard way sometimes. you you got to get this little thing in your head to test your dreams. All right, we've examined our dreams, but, but now let's, let's try to expand them because God did put this instinct for purpose in us. We are meant to achieve, we are meant to accomplish, but we're meant to accomplish worthy things, things that are befitting our design as those made to be like Christ. So Jesus just kind of gives us a real simple guidance on this. In Matthew chapter 6.33, part of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Make your top priority. God's kingdom and his way of life. And all these things will be given to you as well. Do you know what those all these things will be given to you as well? If you read the verses that go before, you know what they are? The they're, they're stuff we we worry about. Are we going to have enough money? Are we going to have enough food? Are we going to have enough, you know, uh, are we going to survive? He says, don't don't even think about those things. If you seek first, let me if I could put that back one more time. Yeah, it's coming. No, <laughs> that's not it. I want to go back. <laughs> Make your top priority what? You say it with me. God's kingdom. And his what? And all these things will be given to you. How many of you right now, you'll put your hand high in the air... You can search my life out, Randy. You can check the way I spend my time, my talent. You can look at my checkbook. You can see the way I serve. You can see the way I give. You can see the way I study God's word. You can see the way i involve involved in group life and I try to build up His church. You can, watch, you, you can look at me, scrutinize me, Randy, and you'll see God's kingdom is top priority In my life. That is my dream. That is my goal. That is my pursuit. And living the way he created me to live. I pursue that. I want to learn it. I put it into practice. That's me. You can check me out. That's my top priority. Now I'm not actually going to ask you to raise your hands. But we we should. If we want what's good for us. That's the answer. Making it the top priority. Not just a component of our life to round it out. So. Whatever our dream or pursuit is, it ought to be something that's, that's moving us toward involvement and advancing of God's kingdom, his rule over the lives of others, helping others come to know and trust him, be reconciled to him, uh, helping his kingdom to be built up. Second one, how can we expand this propensity we have for purpose? Jesus having a conversation with someone said, the guy asked him, he says, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? Good question. Jesus said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as who? Yourself. All the law and prophets depend on these two commandments. So here again, Jesus is saying you want to let something form and motivate dreams, goals, and ambitions. Is this pursuit, is this ambition, is this goal, is this dream causing me, helping me to have deepening love for my creator and deepening love for other people? Is this goal, this dream, ambition helping me to further God's kingdom? That's the first question. Second question, is it causing me to more deeply be related and involved in love my God? and love people, which means we got to have time for the investment in both. These are good questions. These are dream expanders, purpose expanders. So your, your sense and your drive of purpose its a good thing, but it's got to be something that's sifted through the grid of God's good word so that we're living in accord with our design. Because when we live in accord with our design, it's good for us. And when we don't live in accord with our design, it doesn't matter how pleasurable it is initially or how much fun it might be or how how good it might seem. It won't be good, ultimately. A guy named Dave Harvey had an unusual situation. He, uh, eh, maybe not that unusual. He went to his doctor, and his doctor suggested that he allow him to take out his uvula. How many know what your uvula is in a man? How many of you women wish your husband's uvula was taken out? (laughs) It's usually associated with snoring, okay? And so... uh, he also had sleep apnea, you know, so the doctor said, okay, we're going to take your uvula out and you'll be healthier, you'll, you'll be much better. So they did the surgery, took the uvula out, and the snoring seemed to dissipate. Somebody said the thing that was wild, the thing that, w- that was most exciting for him was he said that he, he got his dreams back. And what he meant was this, all the years that he had the sleep apnea and he was snoring so loudly, uh, evidently it was disruptive to his dreams or his remembering the dreams in any case. I mean, you know, he knew that he was dreaming. Everybody dreams, so they say. But he couldn't ever remember any dreams. He said as soon as Uv- Uvula was taken out, he could remember all his dreams vividly. And he said it was so exciting to have his dreams again, new dreams. And I thought that's an interesting way to kind of close this message out. Why not? Why not say I'm going to this year, I'm starting right now. I don't really care what anybody else does. I am going to open my heart and mind for God to start filling my heart and mind with new dreams... Dreams that are going to expand his kingdom. Dreams that are going to give me ideas about how to bridge between Christ and other people to to invest and invite in other people's lives. Dreams that are going to help me deepen my personal understanding of God and His Word and His will and His ways. That are going to help me to to grow more loving toward Him and toward people. I am going to I'm going to get a piece of pen and paper. And I'm going to write down ideas and I'm going to prayerfully ask God to guide me and help me. But I'm going to invest my life this year intentionally, and I'm going to. I'm going to find some new dreams from God. Ways that some of the experiences that He's given me in life that He's going to help me to see how I can leverage them for good, for ministry purposes. Wouldn't it be a great thing if each of us did that? Listen, one, one last little phrase to leave with you: calibrate your dreams by God's designs. Calibrate your dreams by God's designs. Mold, shape your dreams. Don't let your dreams calibrate you, mold and shape you. You. Shape and mold your dreams based on God's design for you, which is to be a Christ-like version of yourself. Church is not meant to be a place, man, where you just go and you check off your box and say, look, look at me, God, I'm here today, I did my duty, I hope you're appeased. It is a place where we gather as, as those that are made in the image of God to learn and to grow and to be inspired and to be challenged and to be refocused and energized to make this life a developmental journey and not to lose any of it, to dream godlike dreams and do godlike ministry as a result of it. All right, maybe today the thing that the Spirit of God is trying to get across to some of us is that we've been chasing, we've been pursuing, we've been giving our soul to some very unworthy, insufficient dreams, goals, ambitions. And God simply is trying to get us to face up to that and say, you have got stop. It's sucking the life out of you, and it's never going to end well. It's not good for you. Oh, some of us, it could be that God's saying, you know, you've been in neutral. You've been just kind of in neutral for a long time. It is time. It is time to get some new dreams and to throw yourself into some ambitions and goals that, that are going to be worthy now. They're going to be worthy in eternity There are going to be things that are going to develop you to be more Christ-like. They're going to influence in a positive way everybody that gets near you. Now is the time to grab that calendar, that clock in your life and start making things happen in a positive way, living according to your design. It's as natural as breathing, but it's very difficult in the society we live in. And it all starts with this. If you haven't ever made that decision to return to your Creator Christ, to put your faith and trust in Him and become His follower, none of this will ever work out. We were made by Christ and for Christ. He died on the cross to demonstrate His trustworthiness and love. And all He asks of us is to return to Him in trust and follow Him, learn His ways. He promises forgiveness of all of our sins and the free gift of everlasting life in His kingdom. But He can't give us what we won't take and we've got to be willing to trust him and follow him fully and freely and forever. So maybe for you, that's, that's your big decision today. Maybe you've been, you've been coming around places like this church is for a long time. And maybe you've got a head full of belief, but you don't have a heart full of devotion to Christ. You don't actually trust him, and you're not actually following him. But maybe today you say, you know what, I'm going I'm to stop playing games. You can't outsmart God anyway. He wants to give you the best. And that's himself. Maybe that's your decision. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for moments, times that we can hear you, where we can see your truth, where we can have it influence us deeply. Uh, Very rarely do we have space and time like this. May your spirit continue to keep these things applicable in our hearts and minds. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.